Real Men Feel with Andy Grant encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been told, all emotions do serve you. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now let's get to it. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel, and welcome to 2021. We made it. Woohoo! Uh, new month, new year. Um, if it suits you, a new you, perhaps, right? You know, so I, I'm your host. I'm a coach, author, and healer, Andy Grant. 2020 has been a really rough year for so many people. Wouldn't it be great if we could find a way to bring more fun into our lives? Well, that's why I'm excited to have my guest today. He is positive play coach Jeff Harry, and he's here to talk about adding play back into our lives, making 21, 2021 fun. And uh, so, Jeff, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks so much for having me. This is super exciting. It is. And that's is, is super exciting. Is that part of play? Is, is play ever not exciting? Yeah, it's well... Play is is feeling curious, right? It's like feeling curious about like what is possible and also feeling hopeful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, tying this to the podcast, it's also allowing yourself to feel, right? You know, I think a lot of what happened in 2020 is we had these high expectations of what we thought 2020 was going to be like. And adults are really good at getting fixated on the results. And then when 2020 didn't happen the way we wanted it to happen, it was so disappointing and we couldn't let that go. Mm. Being able to actually like feel and let it mourn and be like, hey, 2020 is now gone and feeling it the whole way through is going to be really important to do in order to have a really vibrant 2021. So so play isn't about denying or ignoring something, it really lets you feel more of what might be happening. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff I do around positive psychology is about like feeling all the feelings. Like if you remember Pixar's Inside Out, it's like you don't deny yourself the feelings. Like Tuesdays with Maury is just like you feel the whole feeling. You know, a perfect example of that is like when my dad passed away in 2015, you know, his brother showed up. His brothers hadn't seen each other since their mom passed away, which was like 20 to 25 years before then. And they all showed up for the first time together in that much period of time. So I'm surrounded by family, right? And I'm feeling grief and sadness, but also I'm feeling joy and gratitude. And at first I was like, oh, should I feel guilty about this? But it was like, no, you can actually feel both. I could feel gratitude and sadness, joy, you know, and, you know, a deep like mourning, you know, and that actually makes life even more worth living because you're feeling all the feels and you're not denying yourself the feelings. Cool. Cool. So, so we've established what play is always like to set definitions so we can talk about the right yeah, things. And we so get the to- set definition, I define it because I both define it in a very like global and also narrow sense. I okay. define play as any joyful act you do where you forget about time where there is no purpose, there is no result, right? You know, you uh, don't have anxiety about the future. You don't have regrets about the past. You are just fully in the moment. You are fully in love with the process. Mm-hmm. And you know you're at play because you just, time just disappears, you know? Cool, cool. So yeah, so no no purpose. You're not focused on the results. Yeah, you know, I've... Uh... I've had years of struggle with, with depression, suicidal ideology. And one thing I discovered in my own life was like, I lo- also love amusement parks and on a roller coaster, 
it like you're in that moment. Like I, I could, I could not be afraid or concerned. I could be afraid, right, but right, not about right, something right. else. Yeah. yeah, even like I think Daniel Tosh was like, you never see someone angry on a jet ski. Like you <laughs> can't be, you know, frustrated, right? So how do we f- spend more time? I'm putting this together for 2021 is like, you know, I, I don't believe in resolutions anymore. Most people give up their resolutions by January, I think 12th, mm-hmm. by like 11 days. But I have this thing called the fun joy play index where I'm like, reflect on what were the most fun, joyful play moments of 2020. Because if you think about it, your favorite moments in your life are usually play moments, right? Mm -hmm. And then even though I know it's scared to plan, right? But even though think about what type of fun, joy, play moments do you want to have in 2021? Even if it's still going to be virtual, what type of memories do you want to create? Because more focusing on that rather than focusing on like what accomplishments or results you're going to achieve, you know, those actually don't bring you happiness. You know, they don't bring you a sense of joy and fulfillment. You know, Michael Phelps, there's just a, a, a documentary done on him and a bunch of Olympians went to a huge depression right after he won his what? 22nd gold medal, like gold medal, because like he was so results oriented for so long. And so fixated on results that when that went away, he was like, what is my purpose? So we really have to be careful about how much we're fixated on results and really focused on what can we do to be in the moment and be in the process. And and one of the old cliches, you know, enjoy the journey, not the destination. So, so making your journey fun and playful, let, let that be enjoyed and not, not only goals and results and yeah, that, that um, almost the the end of something is, yeah, there as, Phelps experience, like uh, the end can be disappointing. Yeah, well, it's, you keep it's striving also, for something, and then is like a cliff. There's such a drop off. Yeah, it's also it's it's this myth that happiness is around the corner, mm. right? That as 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 soon as I reach a million dollars of net worth, or as soon as I reach this accomplishment, and st- as soon as I'm Forbes under forty or whatever thing you're trying to accomplish, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be joyful. And it's such a lie, right? It's such. The lie, like if you, I remember like VH1's Behind the Music, you know, when they would interview bands and bands would be like, what is your favorite time of your life? You know, you know, with your band. And they were like, when we were in those, our crappy van, you know, driving from gig to gig where there was like only seven people there because it was natural. It was at the beginning. It was during the process. You asked that of startups. A lot of them loved it when they were in their garage, just trying to brainstorm what was next. Right. It wasn't in the result, because if you're so fixated on the result, you're going to be so disappointed when you get there. Mm. That's that boy. That strikes me as just so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, and I talk about this a lot of something I refer to as as affluent deadness. Like like I know a lot of famous people. I know a lot of rich people. I know a lot of, you know, successful people. Right. There is a certain deadness in their eyes when you look at them, especially the rich, right? Like the elite. And in either, where's that deadness coming from? They're either worried about losing their all their money, right? Like that they've hoarded. Um, they either are really sad because they thought that when they got to this place, they would be fulfilled and they're not. Or the worst is they compare themselves to someone else. So they might have a net worth of 5 million, but someone has a net worth of 10 million. So it's never enough. It's like insatiable 
you know, trying. So they have this deadness in their eyes. And then the worst part about it is some of them then on Instagram post about how happy they are in their life. When you ask them afterwards, like, why are you posting that? It's like, well, it's the only time in which I get validation. So then they're selling a lie to everybody else so that everyone's trying to race up there only to be disappointed again. So no one is happy wherever they're at. And if you look at someone that is truly joyful, truly fulfilled, they're happy in the moment. They're able to conjure up, you know, play in the moment. And if you think of, you know, one of the last regrets of the dying, it is, I wish I had the courage to live the life that I wanted to live and not the life that others expected of me. Most people are, as Viola Davis says, chasing their worth, trying to get validation from others instead of just trying to figure out like, what makes me happy? What makes me fulfilled? What brings me joy? What, what is my play in the world? How do I want to show up? And if you can figure that out, you'll be far ahead of most people that, you know, have riches beyond belief, but don't know how to, what to do with them. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, I think Teddy Roosevelt said this comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. And I say, I, I also add expectations of the thief of joy, mm. you know, like really, like we had so think about it. So many people were like, 2020 is going to be my year. <laughs> it's it. This is the year, right. You know, you know, 10x my business, you know, get married, all these things. And when it didn't happen, because we were so fixated on it, that is where so much of our hurt comes from. That's where so much of our pain comes from is because what, what we've done, which is so sad is like, we've set it up where instead of just appreciating all the opportunities in front of me, right? Like when you're traveling and you're like, what do you want to do today? And you're like, I don't know. It's just so many options, right? We instead are pick, we fixate on one option, only one out of the million options that are in front of us. And if we don't get that, then we're disappointed. It's like, man, you missed out on 999,000 other options yeah. <laughs> that, that all would have been great. That all would have been amazing. So I think something to do as we're walking into 2021 is to just be open to the possibilities, be curious and not really be so fixated on achieving just one result and just be more curious about what brings me joy. Have you always been this curious, joyful uh, kid and, and, and adult or did you, you know, discover play as a ways to get back into that or was it always naturally there for you? I think it was naturally there when I was a kid as right. Like everyone, you know, and then I got through my, you know, I went through the cool stage and when I was in the teens um, and I was rejected profusely, you know, I was this Vincentian Filipino kid with a big Afro. Right. And, and everyone needed to have bangs in order to be cool. So like I used to put moose in my hair and try to make my, make my bang only for it to turn into a raccoon's butt coming out of my forehead by fifth period. So, you know, I, I tried to be cool and, it sucked, right? <laughs> like I tried to get external validation and, you know, and I got rejected over and over and over again to the point that I felt like I was denying who I was. And there was a moment, you know, I was at this pool party where, you know, I was like forced to choose who I, who I am and, or choose, choose to be someone that was cool. And I chose to be someone that was cool. And I had never felt like more abandoned and alone in my life at that moment. And that is when I made the decision to be like, I'm just going to be a nerd, man, and just like play in my basement and make up games and, you know, create a safe space for other people to do that. And then my friends would come over and 
And what's ironic is then people just come over to my house to play and just be nerdy. And frankly, that's what I do now, <laughs> right? I create a psychologically safe space for people to be themselves, hmm. you know, using play. So, so what is a positive play coach? So um, positive psychology is, uh, it's, it's research that was founded back in 1980 by Marty Seligman. Uh, he was a, he's a professor out of UPenn where he found that most psychology up until the eighties had studied what was wrong with people. Like here's everything that's wrong with you. And he, and here's how to change it. But no one was focused on what we're doing right. Like nobody. So positive psychology, a lot of it is about just double downing on what you're good at. Right. And allowing yourself to feel all the feelings. So I started studying a lot of that. I all I had already been doing a lot of team building um, events. I grew, you know, one of the largest Lego inspired STEM organizations like in the in the U.S. And as part of that, we got the attention of Facebook, Google, you know, Adobe, all these organizations um, that all talked about agility and disruption and innovation and thinking outside the box and all those buzzwords, all those things, all those posters that are on the wall, right? Um, but they weren't doing any of it, right? They were, it wasn't a psychologically safe space to take a risk. Like they just weren't doing any of that. So I had been running for over a decade team building events with them to make them feel good. And I was like, nah, man, I don't want to do that anymore. So, you know, studying positive psychology and using my play background, I'm now like helping teams to navigate really difficult conversations using play because that's the only way you create a psychologically safe work environment, right? Like how do you deal with toxicity at work? How do you deal with talking about race or class at work? How do you deal with dealing with your inner critic? You know, how do you get your staff in flow? All these like questions that I feel a lot of companies just avoid. I'm like, no, let's use play and positive psychology. Just like go right at it. So is all play positive or, or only some aspects of play? No, I mean, play is play sometimes could be something as simple as, as running a marathon. You know, when you're running it, parts of it, you're like, what in the world am I doing? <laughs> like, this is painful. Right. But there's a part of you that is also like, Ooh, I feel like I'm expanding. I feel like, you know, I'm feeling a certain level of joy or interest. Right. I remember I was coaching this one person who was a lawyer and she's like, I don't play. Like, and I never play. I refuse to play, you know? And I was like, okay, well tell me what you do enjoy doing or what you, what do you do for work? And she's like, I take people that hate each other and I get them to agree on one thing. Like that's what interests me. And I'm like, Oh, tell me more. And as you, she was telling me, she started lighting up. Right. And Howard Thurman says, you know, the quote, you know, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive. Because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. And when she was speaking, she was alive. She was excited about what she's able to do with people. And I was like, that's your play. So play is very broad. It's different for every person. So it's just, again, it's just the joyful act where you forget about time and it doesn't have a purpose. You just enjoy it for the sake of enjoying it. Like, even if someone didn't pay you, you would still do it. You know, that is that work that that is like, that's your flow work, or as Marcus Buckingham refers to as your red thread work. So why do, why do most adults resist the notion of play? The easiest way to answer this, and also this is so sad, dude, but like, you know, the easiest way to answer is 
148,000 no's. By the time you reach the age of 18, you have heard the word no 148,000 times, according to studies. Hmm. And you've only heard the word yes, maybe eight to 10,000 times. You know, so you, so you first have that. That you have to just deal with that, right? Then when you're a kid, you are should on all the time. You're should on by your parents, you're should on by teachers, you're should on by adults. I mean, literally, you're six years old and someone's like, you know what you should do when you grow up? And you're like, I'm six. I'm six. Why are you telling me what I need to do right now? Is it because you are having anxiety about your life and now you're shooting on me as a kid? You know, then you get your teen years where you're bombarded with media, especially now for a lot of teenagers. And you get more information in a day than, than people got in the 1950s in a year. And that information is all telling you you're not enough. You're, you're worthless. And you know what would make you happy? More Amazon Prime gift boxes, right? Like buy this, you know, get this webinar, do this thing. But whatever you do, don't do you. Don't be you, right? All of it is communicating not to be you. And then anytime you're mischievous, anytime you're, or anytime you're yourself, you're told you're too mischievous, too much, too weird. So that, you know, frankly, anytime you do any level of play, it's such a rebellious revolutionary act, you know, to be yourself against the society that's telling you not to be. Like it's so big. So when you try something like starting a podcast and people are like, that makes no sense. Why are you starting a podcast? You know, why are you creating this video? It doesn't have an ROI to it. Like, what are you doing? Why are you hopping? What are you doing? Jumping on a hundred podcasts in nine months? You know, what's the value in that? Like, it's just like, I don't know. I'm just following my curiosity because it, it feels good to me. Right. Like, like, why can't we just do that? Why, why, you know, I, I remember going to a winery once in this and I was like, look, dude, I don't know anything about wine. And he was just like, look, man, you drink it. If you like it, you keep drinking it. If you don't like it, you stop drinking it. Like it's, it's that simple in life, but we make everything so complicated. Right. We're just like, well, I should do this or I should do that. Why, why do you have to should anything? Like, just, just do what brings you joy, happiness. And if you don't know what that is, then take some time to explore that. Because I feel like that is more important to you than most things in life. So is is kind of an aspect of play saying yes to yourself? Yeah. I mean, think about when you've traveled, right? And you are just saying yes to everything. You're just like, yes, I will go here. Yes, I will hop on this moped of this random stranger. Yes, I will go to this deserted island and all of a sudden I'm at a party, you know, underneath the moon and then I meet the love of my life. Like, yes, yes, yes. Like, just, just... I mean, it's it's not following like the whole yes and approach of improv, but it's just being open to stuff, right? I think a lot of times people, Elizabeth Gilbert says this a lot, you know, um, well, she says two things. One is she says, don't follow your passion because maybe you don't have a passion or purpose, but you can follow your curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. You can be friends with yourself. Like everyone's like, you got to love yourself. You got to love yourself. She's like, let me just be friends with myself. Let me just start there. Like that's, you know, so, so just like following whatever is interesting. What is your curiosity? But the other thing that she says that really resonates with me is, is personal transformation doesn't happen until you get tired of your own BS, mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, what is the BS that I'm telling myself right now? I remember in March, my BS was, March of last year, my BS was, you know, I don't have time to make videos. You know, I just don't, I just don't have enough time. And then quarantine happened. It was just like, guess what? You have all the time in the world, you know? And now I can make a video a day. 
sometimes I make three or four videos a day. So it's just like, we need to challenge what BS we're telling ourselves to keep ourselves small so that we can actually explore what like magics within us. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned yes. And being an improv exercise, uh, but I think it really is funny because life is the ultimate improv. Like everything is improv. So if you can, you know, even if you're afraid of the idea of being on stage or doing anything, but if, if you can see that, like decide this is my stage and right, you know, right. what do I want to say yes to and, and to. You know? And think about it. Think about how you plan your life in such a linear fashion. Go back in your life and just look at it. Nothing is linear. None of it has been linear. Like how, even how we met, it's just like it, so many random things had to happen so that you and I were on this podcast together. So why are we planning everything out? Especially when it doesn't play out that way anyway. I'm not saying don't do any planning, but just be open to the possibilities that are out there and don't deny yourself, you know, your ability to follow your curiosity and follow what your inner child is telling you. Yeah. I find it. It's about attachment. Here's my plan, but don't be, Oh no. If the, if it varies, I'm screwed is it can't be that exactly. attachment to it. Right. Exactly. Awesome. You, you mentioned the inner critic a number of times and all the shoulds and the no's that we hear. So do you have a favorite way to kind of quiet that, that inner critic? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, my friend Marsha Shandor taught me this, and it really is about naming your inner critic. So I, I created a workshop called Playing With Your Inner Critic, and anyone can do this. This is super simple. You can do this at home anytime. Is th- so the next time you're feeling crappy, just like really bad, your inner critic has been there for a while, right? It's been hanging out with you. So you just, all of this is about awareness. So you first like kind of recognize, okay, what has my inner critic been t- telling me since I started binge watching Netflix today, right? Like, like, what is it telling me at this very moment? And then you just start writing it all of it down. Like, oh, you know, you're never going to be successful. Oh, you're super lazy. Oh, you're always going to be broke. Oh, you'll always be alone. Like, write it down. Like, write it on a piece of paper, put it on a computer. But the important part is to write it down so you can actually see what your inner critic is saying. It's a really big deal to shine a light on an inner critic in order to quiet it. But then as you're writing it down, start to think about what is that inner critic's voice sound like, you know, and then what does that inner critic look like? Does it look like, you know, your bully from third grade? Does it look like all the cool kids from high school? Does it look like your, your parents, your uncle, like who's saying this to you right now? Because usually it is some character or amalgamation of characters that are saying all these mean things to you. So once you identify what it's saying, what it looks like, what it sounds like, then you name it. And this is the power of it right here. So I name mine is named Gargamel. So Gargamel from like the Smurf shows up and it's just like, Jeff, you suck. You know, you always be broke. Your business is going to suck. Like you're just never going to be successful. And, and at that very moment, I can do two things, right? I can internalize and believe him, or I can just turn to Gargamel and be like, wait a minute. You know, well, you're saying I'm broke. Well, my my bank account doesn't say that, right? You're saying I'm never going to be successful. Actually, I've already been quite successful. Here are the reasons why. You know, like, so you start to respond to it. Or the other thing you can do if you want to have your friends help you is you can actually text your friends what Gargamel is saying, what your inner critic is saying. And as soon as you shine a light on it, it starts to quiet. It starts to get really quiet. 
over time. And you'd have to keep practicing this. You know, this is something you do over months, maybe even years of keep practicing, recognizing your inner critic, recognizing it's not you. It's you from like third grade or from traumatic 13 years old or whatever time that needs love, but you don't hate on it. You just simply give it its attention. You go, thank you. I appreciate that you're saying this stuff. I realize you're saying this to protect me, but, but this is not necessary right now. So, you know, you need to sit in the back because you're not driving this vehicle anymore, right? Cool. And then as soon as you do that, then you go back to that list of all the things that were so negative and you flip them, you know? So you go, instead of, I'm, you know, I'm always going to be broke to be like, you know, I'm going to be really, I'm going to be in abundance, right? You know, I'm going to be alone. Actually, I'm surrounded by people that I love. Like, and you start to flip those and you start to read those back to you more and more. Woo! All of a sudden, your inner child starts to show up, that quiet voice, that voice that you know, because it's the one that's like, you got this. Do it. You, 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 you know, when you're feeling brave and you start to hear more of that, you start to strengthen your ability to listen to your intuition and not listen to outside voices, including your inner critic. And then you really start to feel empowered. And that is where, what I say, follow your curiosity. It's follow that inner child and what that inner child is whispering to you. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, this, you're reminding I want to speak to the power of this exercise, this implicitly in the power. So God, at least 16 years ago, early in, early in the 2000s, the first time I had come across anyone calling themselves a life coach, when I was like, what does that even mean? I don't, a co- life coach, what the hell is that? But I, I, I met a guy, I'll shout him out. Peter Beckwith was the first coach I ever had. And he did, we did this exercise and I drew my inner critic and I named him. And mine was freaking Danny DeVito as the penguin at Batman. You was that. So I called, he, he would check in. He was like, how's DeVito doing this week? Oh my God, he's all over me. I fucking hate that oh, bastard. You yeah. Know? But, yeah, I, I have the picture I drew even somewhere still. Like, dude, I, I it is powerful, right? And, yeah. then you're like, and then you start to laugh at it. Yes, like, that's the key. What's up, DeVito? How are you? Oh, same thing. Because, because uh, my friend Marsha Shandor says this a lot. It's just like your inner critic has a playlist of maybe four or five songs. That's it. And they, after a while, get really boring because they're just old songs being played. Yeah. So once you realize those songs are being played, you're like, oh, I don't want to listen to those songs anymore. Yeah, yep, it's cool. And um, you know, you mentioned being weird earlier, and I was, you know, embraced the weird. And when I was a kid, my grandmother told me that uh, I had weird friends. And at like eight years old, I said, "Well, weird friends are the fun of life." And now, as an adult, I have my own coffee mug says, "Weird friends are the fun of life." And I, that's that's so so true. Right? That is so true. Because because what is weird, right? It's actually, oh, oh, I wrote an article about this. So look this up. Uh, Weird comes from, I believe it's the Latin term of weird, W-Y-R-D, which is, which is, and I'll, I'll look at this up at some point, but it's, it's this idea of embracing more of like who actually you are, right? Oh, here, weird is a concept in Anglo-Saxon culture, roughly corresponding to fate or personal destiny. Mm-hmm. It's actually about like you fulfilling who you are, yeah. you know, which is fascinating to me. So, so here's, here's a play exercise that you, your friend, you can do with your friends, your weird friends <laughs> that actually is, is super helpful, especially when you're like, well, I don't know how to play. Right. Or I haven't played in a really long time. What should I do? 
Um, I recommend you call up three to five of your closest friends. You can also do this on social media, but I'm, I'm really, it's important to call these people, three to five of your most important people in your life. And you ask them these two questions. What value do I bring to your life? Like, why are we friends? Because I think a lot of times we don't know what value we bring to people's lives. And it's amazing to just hear that love back. So what value do I bring to your life? And then the second question is, when have you seen me most alive? And another way of asking that is, when have you seen me most playful, most engaged, most present, most creative? All those things fall under the umbrella of, when have you seen me come most alive? And what value do I bring to your life? And when you get the answers from many different people, three to five different people, and maybe even some people on social media, you start to be like, oh, yeah, those are the ways. Oh, man, I haven't done that in a long time. I haven't played myself with, you know, in, in those ways in such a long period of time. You write all of those down and then you can get on a Zoom call with a bunch of your friends, you know, and you can have a tipsy storm with them where however you want to get tipsy, alcohol, chocolate, you know, whatever you do, you do you, right? But then you brainstorm how, look, I have all these ideas now, what should I do? And you get a bunch of suggestions from them. You write them all down on a whiteboard or something. You go to bed, get over your hangover, wake up in the morning and then circle one that most resonates with you and just simply do that and have your friends help you pursue that. And simply doing that exercise, you start to realize all these ways in which you already are playing. Cool. That's And taken on without attachment, that can be a really playful exercise in itself. Right. You know, that reconnection, right. that reaching out, finding, again, and virtual ways to play. You mentioned that earlier, so that's And important. just learning it's more about yourself, right? Yeah. Like learning about what part of you is the lover, what part of you is the magician, what part of you is the warrior. Like It's like all in there. And you're just like, wow, I never realized this. So, Or I did know this about myself, so it's really comforting to know that my friends also see that in me. Mm. Right, yeah. Some people probably, and, well, just, oh, let me own that. I've had times where, well, I can accept that I'm really good at this, but I don't think anybody notices or cares about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. In your work with corporations or individual clients, do you see differences between men and women in their willingness to play? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, so I think of, um, I talked about this most recently, you know, so, so men and women both have, you know, masculine energy or masculine leadership styles and also, Feminine leadership styles are feminine power, right? And a lot of masculine power is, you know, it's very list oriented. It's very decision making. It's very results oriented, which also is important. You know, it gets things done, but it can also at times be very arrogant or it can be very, you know, and very fixed, very fixed mindset, right? While a lot of like feminine leadership, it's much more adaptable. It's, it's a little bit more resilient. It's more playful. Right. So finding balance between those is really important. And and I, I look at the prime minister of New Zealand, who both led with both masculine and feminine leadership. And that is a huge reason why they have the lowest covid rates like in the world, because she both was empathetic, but also very clear with her community with her citizens of like, this is what we have to do. So I think we have to explore what parts of a person in what parts of you are more masculine? What parts of you are more feminine and, and not deny yourself either, but try to find the actual balance. You know, I think a lot of times, especially in the corporate world, we celebrate 
masculine leadership and sometimes it turns into toxic mm. masculine leadership like Steve Jobs and just like, you know, really mean and we get to squeeze the most out of people. But if you look at someone like Tony Shea who created Zappos, dude, that dude led from like a very balanced masculine and feminine, sometimes more feminine than masculine leadership style, you know, where he cared more about his employees than his customers mm. to the point, And he allowed his staff to be weird at work, you know, like to show up however they wanted to show up. And that was a huge reason why they thrived. Mm. So like I say to a lot of companies when they're like, well, why is play important at work? I don't think it's really important. You know, it's just like, well, the future is where the fun is, Right. And if you look at the organizations that are having the most fun, Netflix, you know, uh, Disney Plus right now, Hulu's like all of, you know, TikTok, all of these, they're taking risks and they're adapting and they're resilient. But most importantly, they're solving really cool issues and they're having fun doing it. And that is where you want to gravitate as a business because that's where the money is. And if you're still doing those antiquated ways of the past, or if you want to get back to normal pre pandemic, normal, you might become the blockbuster of the future. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. Now you, you shared a number of ways that people can, uh, some techniques and practices that people can help get in touch with more play uh, at the start of this. So at the start of this year, what was still in January, what are you looking forward to this year? What what are you creating but unattached to? Like where was your curiosity wanted to go? I'm I I'm looking forward to this this pact that I made with myself, which is uh, a risk a day. This idea that that uh, I can't believe I'm quoting quoting you know uh, we bought a zoo. Remember that from that movie? We bought a zoo. Uh, it's probably not a good movie, but there's an amazing line in that movie where it's just like you know where the father's talking to his son and he goes, you know, this is how I met met your mother. It was like just. All you need is 20 seconds of insane courage, just like literally, you know, insane bravery. Um, And you take that risk and your whole, you know, whole life can change. So I think about that when we're like, I always say to people, I'm like, you're one risk away. You're one choice away, one risk. So I'm fascinated with taking a risk a day. And I don't know what that even looks like. You know, but I think it's like simply when something is both exciting for me and also scares the crap out of me, then I'm like, oh, I got to do that. Yeah. Let me see if I can just do that today. Let me just email that person I'm really scared to email. Let me just make that video that I'm really worried that if I post it, no one's going to like it or maybe people will hate me for it. Let me just do this thing that that explores my curiosity because by simply doing that, I'm strengthening my ability to take risks and my ability to sit in the unknown, like to sit in the uncertainty. And I think Will Smith said this, you know, after he leaped out of, he bungee jumped out of a, of a helicopter above the Grand Canyon, you know, everyone's like, you're crazy. And he goes, man, when he came to the ground and they were like, what was it like? And he goes on the opposite side of fear is everything, everything you've always wanted. It's just, it's just on the opposite side. It's right there. Yep. It's just been, it's just waiting for you. All the excitement, the roller coaster ride is right there. If you simply are willing to take that risk. Yeah. Yeah. I've found that time and time again. So now I try to live my life that 
when fear shows up, it's not a stop sign anymore. I see fear as the, the go sign, like run into that fear, like you were saying. Ooh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. So, Jeff, I really appreciate everything you've shared so far, everything you're doing, everything you're looking forward to. What's the best way for people to connect with you to learn more? Sure. Uh, the best way is to simply go to rediscoveryourplay.com. Click on the Let's Play button where I have a bunch of play experiments you can do to figure out who you are. Uh, and then let's hop on a call. and We can figure out how you can uh, kick ass in this world. Super. Everyone listening, please take the time. Do the exercise about the inner critic. Do the exercise of, of contacting your, your closest friends and asking those three questions. This will pay off. Whether you're listening to this in January of 2021, whether you're listening to it you know, July 4th of 2030, whatever it might be. Yeah. And can, and can I goodwill you hunt your staff as we close out? Sure. So if you remember Goodwill Hunting, right, you know, at the end of it, you know, uh, Matt Damon is sitting there with Ben Affleck at a construction site. And for people that don't know the movie, Matt Damon is this genius and he can have any job he wants, um, like, you know, becoming a millionaire. And he's sitting at this construction site with Ben Affleck and Ben's like, when are you going to take one of these high paying jobs? And Matt's like, I'm not, you know. I am going to work construction with you. We're going to raise our kids, you know, watch them play baseball at Foley Field. And that's just what I'm going to do. And Ben turns to him or his actor, you know, the, the actor, right? He turns to him and he goes, if I see you here in 20 years, I am going to kill you. Like, I'm literally going to kill you. And, and Matt, Matt Damon's character is like, what, what, what do I owe it to myself? And he's like, no, you don't owe it to yourself. You owe it to me. You owe it to everyone else at this construction site that would give anything. I mean, anything to have, you know, what you have. You're sitting on a winning lottery ticket and you're too scared to cash that in. And, and I truly believe this for each and every one of your listeners. They are sitting on a willing lottery ticket. And here's the most powerful part. It's not just important for them to cash it in for themselves, but it is important for anyone, for them to do it so that when they show up, it gives other people permission to show up. Like you don't create this podcast, Andy. I don't have the ability to show up myself. Now you've given this platform for so many of us to show up. Now I'm sharing this message. So this other person needs to show up because by you simply showing up, people are waiting for you. They are waiting to do their thing, but they can't do their thing until you do your thing. Right. And if you want to make it a huge impact on this world, simply all you have to do is simply be you and show up. So are you ready to show up? Beautiful. I love it. I agree with it. 1000%. Uh, you know, there's this notion that it's selfish, you know, play, joy, all that is something like, no, it, it, it's selfless. Like you shining your light gives everyone permission to do that. You, you live in your passion, your joy, your curiosity. It helps the entire world. It really does. Awesome. Yes. Well, let's keep helping the world. Everyone listening, go help the world by helping yourself, by playing, by bringing joy into your life. All the links mentioned, all the resources will be at realmenfeel.org. Ah. I invite you to look at it that you have made it through the worst year of your life. And what are you going to do now? And Jeff and I invite you to play. Cool. I so, love that. Until next time, be good to yourself. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Contact us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about author, coach, and healer Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would help us greatly if you gave a review wherever you are listening right now.